So for episode nine, we have got a treat. We are here today with Rue Chater. This is quite a relevant follow-up, given that we were spending time with him in Ireland, and yet we are not recording in Ireland. We all left Ireland with a little bit of a cough, didn't we, Rue? Yeah, we did, thanks to the BKSA for Have you recovered? Uh, I have recovered. Did you actually get COVID then? Yeah, I did. Did So I, I came back from Ireland and I was meant to be going to Qatar um three days after i got back from ireland so i tested three times once the day before i left twice on the day that i left all tests came back negative booked the airport parking drove all the way to the airport had to do a test at the airport and the test at the airport came back positive so they were like we can't get on the plane i was like ah so i'm stood in heathrow airport with covid i now need to get back in an uber go back to the hotel where i've paid 200 quid to park my van and then drive back to wales so yeah was, and uh, you didn't even you didn't even come out in first place to thank no. you, either, did you? <laughs> no, I didn't. I had a shocking a shocking event and came a miserable third. So yeah, out of about three. So there you go. <laughs> but you had you had fun. I did. You had fun. I did have fun, and uh, I've just put together a travel guide for the place as well, which is uh, it's an amazing spot. I mean, you you boys He's plugging it already. He's been waxed, on for like thirty waxed. seconds already. <laughs> 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 you boys wax lyrical away. about it. You boys wax lyrical about it. it is amazing if anyone's listening and haven't been to Brandon Bay they should and they can check out my travel guide on ikesurfmag.com <laughs> hey. I watched it I did actually so. I, I did actually watch it today and it was it was very good and you hit every point that I was thinking that place is phenomenal very very cool might not be board shorts and flip flops but for everything else it's fucking brilliant loved it anyway. for anyone yeah so that's a good link to uh, to introduce yourself to anyone that doesn't know who you are <laughs> who are you and what do you do? Uh, so my name's Rue Chater and in 2004 I started editing Kitesurf UK which was the UK kitesurfing magazine and in 2006 I set up a publishing company called Next Element and we've got three magazines currently mountain biking, kitesurfing and winging and I'm proud to say the kitesurf magazine is the biggest media outlet of its kind like a surf mag it's absolutely massive and we're trying to emulate that in the wing department as well. So, and foiling and... Is it just wing and all foiling? All foiling, yeah. yeah. So the, the tagline, I think, is uh, foils, wings, sup and surf. So it's like a, a multi-sport magazine, which I think sums up what a lot of people do. You know, most wingers have come from a different sport. A lot of them haven't. Um, but they're either a surfer or a supper or windsurfer or they've had some sort of water sports experience in my... Um, you know, in my sort of understanding of it so far, certainly everyone around this way has come from another sport um, to get into it. So that kind of crossover for that magazine works really well. We've got a bit of a weird name for it, though. It's called Tonic Mag. Um, so it doesn't have any fancy. I've been curious. I've been curious about that one. So when we when we launched it, it was originally for stand up paddleboarding. And we were very late to the party on stand-up paddleboarding because we had a mountain bike magazine that we said, until the mountain bike magazine makes a profit, we're not going to launch another magazine because we'll be too busy and we're not going to make any money and it'll just stretch us too far. And the mountain bike magazine never made a profit, still hasn't made a profit to this day. It's been out since 2008. It, has, it does make a bit of a profit, actually. That's not really fair, but it, it doesn't do very well. 
and SUP had started, was booming, everyone had launched SUP magazines, and we were like, well, if we don't do something with SUP, we're going to miss out completely. So we started about two years before Stand Up Paddle died, which was just a terrible time to start. And of course, all the names for anything SUP related was gone. So there were no SUP related websites, you know, SUP magazine, SUP whatever, SUP this, SUP that, all gone. So we ended up thinking, oh, what could we call it? So we came up with SUP Tonic, as a refreshing take on the sport of stand-up paddleboarding. <laughs> Very nice. And then when we came nice. to uh, to relaunch it, uh, we decided we wanted to turn it into a wing magazine. And just before we were launching it, COVID hit, so it got put on hold. And we were like, what are we going to call it? And obviously loads of wing stuff had already come out and people were starting things. And we were just like, oh, let's just stick with Tonic because we've already got a big readership. It's relevant to paddleboarders. A lot of them are going to get into it. We still keep a bit of paddleboarding in there. And it just meant instead of building from nothing, we were building on an already readership of like 11,000 people. So it sort of set us up to have quite a bit of an audience straight away. And it turned out that when we'd bought the web domain, we'd actually bought Tonic Mag as well to kind of cover that domain name off. So we had tonicmag.com. So it became Tonic Mag. There you go. Easy peasy. So what made you, like, was there a particular catalyst that made you go, I want to do my own thing? Because you worked in publications previous before it was your own, right? Yeah, so I'd worked Was it in... a political thing or was it self-motivated? Or... It was kind of political. So I've, I've worked in publishing since I was about 24, um, selling advertising, advertising salesman for national magazines um, and all sorts of publications. And then ended up getting into kiting right at the beginning because like you boys have found if you're in the sport in the early days there's a lot of opportunity which i never had as a windsurfer because i was seven years old when windsurfing was booming and although i windsurfed i was never in the right place at the right time so with kiting i sort of was and cut a very long meandering story short um the guy who was the publisher of that magazine was a complete and utter pain in the bum for want of a better word so he would never pay me the measly amount of money that he'd promised to pay me so I actually had a bank account closed down because I hadn't put any money in it for four months and they were like well we we want our overdraft back right now and your bank account's now closed and all your cards are going to stop working and I'd chase this guy all around Oxford trying to get paid and so that basically made me just go, you know what, I know exactly how much money you're making because he got me to help him sell advertising so I could see how much money was coming in. And all he had to do was pay me, I think it was £2,000 an issue or something like that. It was just absolutely peanuts. I think it's £1,000 an issue. And it was just, it was nothing, it wasn't enough to live on. Um, but it was, you know, it was all I had to live on and he wouldn't even pay me that. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to set up my own business. So we did... And it was quite eye-opening going from being an editor to a publisher. That is a big step change because you think, ah, oh, it's easy. Just sell some ads, put a magazine together, get a designer, do all these things. And actually, it's a, a massive undertaking to put a whole magazine together. You know, give you an idea. I think the last Tonic Mag was about 200 pages long. So every one of those pages has to have, you know, considered content on it, images. You've got to deal with freelancers, photographers. The designer's got to put it all together. You've got to turn it all into code because all our magazines are digital. Um, then you've got to publish it. Then you've got to market it. You've got to spread the word, get it out there. It's just a massive task, but it meant that I could get paid. So it was worth it. 
<laughs> and as a rule, um, and I think I can say this and I've never been pulled up on it, we always, if anyone is working for us, whether they're freelance or a bit more of a full-time role, they send us an invoice, gets paid the same day because that was a lesson I learned was you can't dick people around with money. No matter how small it is, if you owe someone 50 quid, that could be the difference between them getting dinner and not. So, you know, if someone sends you an invoice, you pay it. Don't now just send me so, so strange invoices. Well, how, how much? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, did you not realise yeah, yeah. uh... It's got to be a legit invoice. But if it's a legit invoice, it'll get paid. Before <laughs> everyone just goes, oh, just send her an invoice. <laughs> I mean, Kiahi. Kiahi paid a lot of money to get on this. Did right? he? Oh, shit. Yeah, All right. Yeah, yeah. Cabrina had got deep pockets. <laughs> send me an invoice. I'll see what I can do. <laughs> it, is, it is funny how we only really learn when we've been stung. Yeah, like that's it's the best way of learning, isn't it? Yeah, it was a it was a massive eye opener. Like not you know just not having any money to do anything, and just what was really good about it actually is I learned how to live off no money. So you know I had no money, so I couldn't live off any money. So all the little luxuries that I had going out of my bank account, well they got stopped when the account got closed down. Um, but suddenly you're like, oh well, I don't need a subscription for that, and I don't need this, and I don't need that, and actually you realise you can sort of get away with you know the bare minimum but it's it's nice now business is in a you know completely a really good place since covid so you know we're doing okay and it's yeah it's just nice to be able to what was what was the so pr prior to the kiting and so you you were a windsurfer but what was the publication you said you kite, do, was that was that in water sports yeah, or was, was that literally just so it's kite surf uk was where i started editing magazines um that was in 2004 and then before that it was a load of like um, business to business titles uh, there was one called Job Seekers something or other which was like a national job magazine so we'd just go and Ooh. sell advertising for recruitment which is actually a really interesting that shit. It is. That does sound terrible. the trouble is, is you, can, you can sell anything right but you can't sell someone a job advert unless they've got a job to advertise <laughs> so it's really really hard it's just like if they've either got a position that wants filling and they want to buy your advert or they don't there's no like happy middle ground where you can sort of win them over and say hey well what if we give you all these options um it's like that it's a famous joke isn't it knocking door to door selling doors yeah exactly it's going to be impossible <laughs> cool. you said you said uh you said at one point there about filling um filling your pages with considered content that yeah. that hit a hit a thing with me straight away and uh, and i know you said to us that you've been back-to-back -back listening to the episodes from Ireland. So assuming you've listened to the most recent one. Yes. What did you think of my first little rant? I quite... And as someone that's inside the industry, what do you think of those funny little attention-grabbing posts of little sustenance, shall we say? I mean, I think the whole social media thing is a really poisonous aspect of the sport that we're in. And so I actually quite enjoyed your take on it. And these people doing stuff just to get views. And of course, you know, it's a thumbnail and it's a headline. And if the thumbnail's good and the headline's good, people can't help but click on it. There's a reason it's called clickbait, right? But I think the sad fact of it is I remember watching windsurf videos as a kid and I would watch these VHS tapes until they ran out and I could quote every word from it. And you would wait a year to see the next windsurfing video and you'd be like, oh my God, that windsurfing video is so insane. It's so impressive. Whereas now, literally, you scroll through your phone going, yeah, someone's riding a 50-foot wave. Yeah, I've seen that before. Yeah, there's, there's three seconds too long. I'm not interested. And I think it's dumbed down how we enjoy content 
Um, and I think that's kind of sad because actually there's a lot to be said for, you know, longer format content that you sit down and watch and you enjoy. A little bit like podcasts, which have had a massive resurgence since COVID um, because people are sort of enjoying that longer format content. And the same with our magazine. We have a rule that our articles are about 2000 words long, which is massive, you know. Um, and yes, less people want to read a 2000 word article than will watch a three second clip of someone doing a barbecue on the front of a foil board. But I think I'd rather appeal to the people that want to read 2,000 words of considered content because they're more likely to spend, you know, money on equipment and be more engaged in that sport than just being a, a sort of a fly on the wall. I mean, we spoke about it a little... This is the difficult... We're going we're gonna to actually, um, actually bring back, like, sex cells, but in more of a gender-equal way. We've got a generic foiling pod thong coming out soon so that'll be our as, that'll be our clickbait as long as it says wang lords on it somewhere then that's going to be absolutely <laughs> oh, it will. but it's, yeah, it's like but there's no space there's no space on the ass cheeks i mean there's i mean talking of ass cheeks that's a, another thing because all the girls that are in the sport <laughs> you know a lot of them a lot of them are just selling selling sex basically to get likes and you sort of look at them and you go wow you've got two hundred thousand instagram followers but there's not two hundred thousand instagram followers that are into the sport you're doing it's 200,000 people that haven't got access to Pornhub that are choosing to, you know, look at your bum for their kicks because they're in a country where the internet's kind of a bit locked down. And I think that's the sort of sad part of it. So, yeah, the whole clickbaity, um, you know, chicks getting their bums out and stuff like that is something that I'm not massively into. And I think is it selling? So so from the, from the brand's point of view then, because from a and it was across all aspects you said uh, from windsurfing but snowboarding and, and and wakeboarding and all these these big brands and even the likes of you know so i used to work for land rover so we used to go and do huge huge events uh for product launches when the defender came out oh no not so much then but when the rain, new range rover came out they would spend millions and millions of pounds sending us all away to to drive and showcase these vehicles in incredible places and literally millions and millions of pounds now they don't do it they just send people, let's say, including a few kite surfers, now very well-known kite surfers, a car. And that's it. They, they send them a car and they get just as much information and likes through that that they don't bother putting these, these huge events on. Do, is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing from a, from a consuming point of view? You know, yeah, I agree. When the new snowboard videos used to come out in the shops... I'd be sat there ripping the things open, couldn't wait to watch them. I've still got that, which is a forum snowboard video from like 2008. And it's insane. It's incredible. And I loved it. But what, do, the, do the brands need to do that anymore? If Some they... of them do, don't they? I mean, has there been any long feet, like iconic feature length foiling videos yet that you can think of? Um, not that I can think of. Some of Kiahi's stuff's a little bit longer. But yeah, I think he did one. He definitely did a, a feature feature. Well, he film did one. Tunnel Vision, which um, was um, that's the kite one. surfing one. But in terms of like foiling, yeah. I don't think anyone's there yet. I mean, F One used to do their their annual movie for kite surfing, and they would go off to some far flung location and film, you know, a half hour, forty five minute film. I don't think they've done that for a couple of years now. Um, Monero, that's coming from T One soon. Yeah, Monero dude. Yeah. Um, and Monero have done some some sort of films, but it's it's even that it's all a lot shorter. You know, it's like ten minutes, fifteen minutes. It's just 
dumbing down of our attention spans, which I don't think is necessarily good There's a little a bit thing. across... Um, there's a few of the wetsuit brands have done it. The Need Essentials stuff, you probably follow the guys. Yeah. Um, you see the video where they, they came all the way down from Scotland, all the way down to Morocco? Yeah. I can't, the, the Aussie guys there. That, I thought that was fantastic stuff, and that was all online stuff. That's sort of your YouTube... I think there was like full segments of that. There must be a revival of it. But I guess it's whether... It's whether it's worthwhile for the brands when, like you said, exactly that. If you can get some... Well, this is the thing, isn't it? Influencer to, to do it, you get as many likes and you haven't had to pay them half as much, anywhere near as much, is it needed? But maybe it's time that the brands kind of stood up and, and went, no, well, for the sake of the actual industry that we're in, this is good. I mean, if you want um, control over your know. brand and how it's perceived, that's what's key. So, you know, Land Rover doing that, filming and video and spending millions on it gets a polished product that comes out the other side that they'll get to edit the hell out of whereas if you send you know whatever it is a car or a bikini or a kite to someone and they go and stick stuff on instagram you kind of lose that value so i think there's probably a happy medium i mean the one thing we can't deny is that young kids coming up that's what they want to watch and that's what they want to do is to short quick clips so there'll come a time when we're all dead and gone and everyone will just be watching one second clips plugged straight into the back of their head in the metaverse probably and that'll be that. But <laughs> it'd be a sad time, wouldn't it? I think we're lucky enough to sort of be um, be out of that and be enjoying life to the fullest if we can. I would hope it would it would meet somewhere in the middle, surely. Because there's still got to be an element of... Like the F1 videos were always brilliant. As apart from the fact that it's had F1 branded all over it and I didn't give a damn about that brand. They made incredible content. They paid a lot of money, obviously, but they'd made some phenomenal videos. There's got to be a somewhere in the middle where it's not three seconds long, it's not an hour and however long. There's got to be something. Happy medium. I think the trouble is... Vlogs, you... I suppose that's where vlogs have come in, maybe, because they're longer form stuff. Yeah, some vlogs are good, aren't they? And some vlogs are bad. I mean, it's... The trouble is, is you get a marketing agency say, oh, no one's going to watch that. And that's because as a blanket rule, all of this marketing research that's done is probably not targeted towards kite surfers and sports people. It's just how long do people watch a yeah. video for on YouTube? 30 seconds, right? Everything's got to be 30 seconds long. And then when you make it 30 seconds long, people then don't watch the end of that. So, oh, now everyone's only watching 15 second videos. That's how long anyone's going to watch any content for. And you end up in the space where we are now. And I think because our... it's whether it's measurable, isn't it? It's whether it's measurable. Yeah, like but... if you, I think, I, th I think, I think people just use social media likes and views as a metric by which they can measure performance. It shouldn't. I, ever I, I, be that's that. my simple view. It shouldn't be that because it's not. You know, who is liking that video? Who's liking that post? Who's who's clicking like on it? And I think for for the sports that are in wankers, yeah, that's who <laughs> the sports that are in wankers. People are genuinely interested. You know, people are soaking up information about winging. Um, that video I put up the other day on Tonic Mag with the foil tip, which was sort of a series that we're hoping to do a few more of. I think on the YouTube there's stats, another, there's another, another plug, plug, plug there. <laughs> another plug. But on the um, on the YouTube stats, it was like eighty percent made it to the end. And that's and they were going, wow, this is like that's high. Yeah, yeah that's, that's really high. And so it's like if you make good content, uh, people will watch it because it's good content. And that's the other thing. There's so much content out there because half of it is rubbish, or probably two thirds of it is rubbish. They go, oh, it only gets watched for thirty seconds. I'll make a thirty second video. But the reason it was watched for thirty seconds because it was rubbish. But yeah, a man. To come back to your point, a man making a barbecue on a foil. It is quite impressive. <laughs> but I get like, yeah. Do we need it? The as thing a sport? is, you're <laughs> coming. 
I was about I was about to try and bring it back to water sports then in terms of the sports you do, but I was just thinking you saying that that is one that should have been longer. Hmm. Because actually, you want to see the prep the, work yeah, too. the preparation and the start? laughs that went start? into actually executing that would have been what was valuable and funny about it, rather than just some <laughs> twat stood there doing it as though it was no effort and looking nonchalant. So my, actually, the making of would have been fantastic. Well, I think often that's the case. My brother Alex, who I run the business with, he's the tech guru. He has this massive pet hate that any surfing wipeout at Nazare, you see him fall off. And then nothing else. That's the next surfer up. And he's like, I want to see him swimming for 40 minutes and the jet ski getting wrecked. And I think I did find a video once and I said, here you go out. It's pretty boring because it's just white water. The occasional ski, a head popping up. And he was like, no, but that's what I want to see. I want to see, like you say, like the beginning, the middle and the end and not just the little clip. I think there was a Kai Lenny Lenny video that was pretty popular about that because he had a huge wipeout there. He was on a GoPro. And got held under a few waves. Yeah, yeah, that that was quite a big one. And then obviously when he trashed that jet ski as well yeah that was okay that was that was gut-wrenching to watch but it was incredibly interesting yeah from it from that yeah that side of things there's an argument between quality of quality and quantity i guess as long as it's interesting people will watch it yeah so rue how do you split your time in the water now and what foiling disciplines are you doing or or in our case attempting, attempting. are you with us attempting or are you doing all of so them so i'm with you at attempting so i kite foiled from very early on that was my first experience of foiling basically it came along i was like i need to learn this um so i think i was got on the first liquid force foil because i could blag it i looked at buying one and i was like i'm not spending two and a half grand on a foil which i'm quite glad about because they're all the tarot swords and stuff like that which you've mentioned in the pod before which are impossible to ride so when liquid force came along i was like you need to send me one of those i'll do a vlog about or a blog about learning to ride which i did and that was my first experience and then with wing foiling um that was probably the second one and i, I kite foiled a lot so i'd you know, love kite foiling, never did any racing, but just cruising around, going places, absolutely loved it. And then with wing foiling, obviously um, Nash launched it in 2018, I think it was, or 2019. And I was there at that meeting and they had this wing foil and Robbie's there just telling everyone how epic this wing foil is and how we're all going to get on it. And of course, everyone's well into kiting, just looking at this thing going, what is this bloke on about? That looks rubbish. And I was there for a week and it got to the last day and I thought, right, if you've gone home and you haven't taken the opportunity to at least try this thing, then, you know, what? What are you even here for? That's your job. You're a journalist. You've got to go and have a go on it. If Robbie Nash can't get you to do it, who's going to? Yeah, but the trouble was, it was in Tarifa. There was about four foot shore dump and they had some really good guys who were whipping around, making it look good. And I was just like, nah, I don't want any part of that because anyone that was learning was just getting absolutely trashed. So I went and spoke to um, Brian Talmer, who was a hero of mine from the windsurfing days, got some tips from him. He said, get the biggest foil they've got and the biggest board and out you go. Because I think they only had the four and a half metre. So I went out there and I was... Well, all you needed to begin with was a four metre. all you needed, four and a half metres, that was it. You don't need one wing because, of course, in in Maui, they've only got one wind strength, which is 25 knots. So you do only need... (laughs) Yeah, the wind is on or off. There's no, like, you know, frontal systems coming through. So I had an interesting... I think I walked for about a mile back up wind, but I did get a couple of flights on the foil and I loved it. Um, And I sort of was like, where's this going to fit in? Like, is this going to be part of the kite surfing magazine? 
yeah, what is this? But it was a bit of a weird anomaly back then. And then I was in Madagascar with the F1 guys, and they were definitely keen on winging. They were winging more than they were kiting. They're like, really, you need to get on this. You need to get on this. And we had a couple of other journalists there. I think it was Brandon from the kite border, which is no more, sadly. But we were both going, where does this fit in? Are we going to make it a separate magazine? I can't see there being the content. You know, surely it's not going to get that big. And we were like, well, I don't really want to put it in the kite mag. And on that trip, I had a go. But of course, the F1 guys are all tiny and they weigh about 60 kilos. So the biggest board, I think, was 75 litres. So I'm an 85 kilo bloke who's been winging once on a eight foot sup board with a 2000 you know wing on the bottom of it and i'm trying to do it and it was just horrendous anyway i managed to put the wing through the well the foil through the wing and paddle back to the beach and just go yeah this is just impossible and then they blew up one of those rocket wings which the inflatable boards which i don't know if you've ridden but they are terrible um not you know they've got their place they're good for certain people and they're cheap and they fold up and they fit in a car but but yeah (laughs) if Raph listens to this and he hears me say it's terrible but they've got their place but for me all those little movements that you put through the foil get lost in the deck so you're putting all these movements and this is one of the first you know inflatable foil boards this is 2019 so you know they hadn't put the stiff base plates on or anything like that so you just couldn't really control it and it was I had a couple of flights on that and then I was at Hood River in AWSI and I got up on the wing there and loved it and then since that trip to Hood River I got my own wing gear that was 2019 end of and I've been winging loads ever since and then subsequently got into prone foiling. So winging, prone foiling and kite foiling. I haven't tried sup foiling, which I know you really enjoyed, Fred, um, uh, Liam. But I've, yeah, I'm not massively drawn to that. I, th- I get the um, impression on the prone foiling side of things that you are quite similar to our level. Yeah, I'm definitely, definitely <laughs> amateur. So I've got a friend here in, um, I've got a friend here in Pembrokeshire who actually mutual mate of ours, Tom Beaton, put me in touch with. It was a bit like a, a red letter day or something like that. But he was like, oh, there's this guy, Ollie. He goes winging. You've got wing gear. You should meet up. So we met up at this car park and was like, I'm in a red van. You're in a black van. Let's hook up. <laughs> we went winging together and became really good friends. And he was getting into um, stand-up foiling when there wasn't any wind and I was really trying to master my surfing skills. So I was like, no, I'm not interested, not interested, not interested. And then eventually he did get me to sort of give it a go. And I absolutely loved it. And we actually had a spot near us. Cause this is the thing with prone foiling. You need a spot where it works. If you don't have a spot where it works, it's just rubbish. Cause you're in shallow water. Your foils hit the beach before you've even got to stand up, you know, unless you're super good at pumping like Jack Galloway, the absolute machine. But yeah, so for me, it's like about the location. We had this great spot um, and then a big storm came and ripped the sandbank out and it's never broken since. And that was 10 magical no ten magical days in January where we um, prone foiled every day. And I was like, this is the best thing ever. We're going to be doing this all summer. It's going to be epic. And then, yeah, this storm ripped the sandbank out. It's never broken since. And I think I went winging with Jack once when, uh, so prone foiling with Jack once when he came to visit in the beach break. So yeah, I find with prone foiling, often the beach break for it to be deep enough it's too big for my level of prone foiling so you end up in like six foot waves getting smashed to bits having a horrible time it's a funny one isn't it you want these kind of funky little spots that just surfers kind of go well yeah it's all right but it's 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 a bit odd yeah that's what we want is those slightly odd places so we had this little sandbank underneath a cliff the wave would break 
quite gently, it would just crumble. So it's enough to paddle into, you pop up, and then it would just back off and just be this rolling lump all the way to the beach. It was about 500 meters. So you just. What gear were you using and what gear are you using now? So for that, I was on, I first started on the 1780 Phantom, which was the wing that I got sent from F1, and I had a 510 board which I believe was 105 litres. So I was just using my wing gear. And I just thought, the, the orange the one. The orange one, yeah. So the, yeah, the a, ASC, the v, the, it's 110, the, that one. The V1 or whatever it was for their rocket wings or whatever. So I had that and um, I was using that and then everyone's going, oh, you need to go smaller, you need to go smaller. And then I went smaller for winging. So I've got a 75 litre wing board and a 1480 Phantom at the time. And I was paddling around on that. And then everyone was saying, no, no, you need a really small board. You need a really small board. And I was like, okay, fine. So I stupidly got a 45 litre ride engine, um, whichever one is there, escape pod or something like that. No, not the dad bod. I probably should have got the dad bod because it's 5'2 and the same literage. But I was like, no, no, everyone says go small. So I think it's four foot eight. And basically I went out on it and I got a couple of rides, but most of the time when I popped on it, my back foot was off the back of the board. Like I couldn't get my foot placement right because it was so stupidly short and it was really unstable. So I've now gone back to cheating and just riding my 75 litre board. And then once I'm up, I'm fine. This is happening. I think everyone's... everyone's if it works, it works. That's, that's, yeah, I'm in it. the same boat. Yeah, I've used the smaller ones and then... Every time I go back and just use my wing board, I'm like, yeah, but it gets into the wave easy and I can stand up easy and I'm actually doing it. Yeah, well, I think a lot of the people that use the small boards are pro surfers. And it's like, yeah, yeah so you're a pro surfer. You can paddle and pop, you know, with your feet in the right spot every time. And, you know, if you're good at pumping as well, I think that helps you on a smaller board. But, you know, for me, I'm not at a level where I can pump round to the back of the wave yet when I'm prone foiling. Um, and it's just about if I can get up, catch the wave and ride along it and do some turns, I'm pretty stoked. So I don't feel like I need to take the training wheels off just yet. Did you um, see the video that popped up today? Just just briefly chatting about um, uh, pro surfers. Did you see, where the shit were they? One of the big waves in the world. Can't remember where. Oscar, the Armstrong and Axis, the guy that does all the reviews. He's surfing waves with John John. No way. Uh, they're all foil sharing a wave. There's John John, uh, another guy I can't remember the name of, and Oscar, all surfing this great big friggin' wave. Um, I can't remember where it is. It's a, one of these very, very famous waves around the world, and it was just really, really cool. Having heard a lot about John John and the fact that he takes a foil setup everywhere now because yeah, you hear about Actually that seeing i've never i've waves. never really seen him foiling so whether it's one of these things if you can't video me until i'm world class i don't know but yeah i'd like to see him learning do you reckon it's that or do you reckon it's pressure from the surfing industry to not probably pressure from not the have... surfing industry i mean the surf industry yeah. hates it right they've always hated yeah. on they hated on paddleboarding they're now hating on foiling. Cloud break. Cloud break. It's cloud break. Oh, perfect. Yeah. So he was probably out at the most. I'll send it to you now on Instagram. Yeah. Uh, I'll send you on Instagram now. And it's John John Florence and Eric Knutson, um, who is a water camera operator and director of photography. Ah. And they're all prone for, or not prone for, and they've probably been towed into the video. They probably are towed in, yeah. Cloud break, I reckon. Yeah, but it looks incredible. It's a pretty sick setup. Anyway, sorry. But yes. Slight, slight detail. It's interesting how the surf industry is very anti anything new because, you know, it's a real weird outlook to have that we just want to keep it surfing for surfing. And I, I get it. A lot of the breaks are really busy. I wouldn't want to paddle out a fistula on a busy day with my, you know, foil underneath me because everyone's going <laughs> to pretty much 
hate you with an instant. But I mean, here it's pretty quiet for surfing, so you can you can generally find a little peak where no one's on it and go and do it without upsetting anyone. But I have a rule that if there's if there's like ten people out, I won't I won't take the hydrofoil with me. You know, even if there's eight, yeah, if there's five, maybe I'll consider it if it looks like I can position myself in a place that's not going to bother them and just pick up all the crappy waves. Because that's the thing is you're not getting the same waves. You're not trying to take off in the critical spot. You're not trying to you know be on the same place in the wave so they can easily play nicely but i guess the horror story is you've got a lot of beginners trying to prone foil not knowing what they're doing and just plowing through a lineup is not a good look have you are set they, yourself are they doing that though i i don't are they doing According that and if so where are they doing they that are. <laughs> well, again, that but i mean they're a bunch of wankers aren't they when it comes yeah i haven't seen much of them um i haven't seen any videos i think I saw, there was that one video where they smashed the guy's board up with a rock because it had gone ghosting through the lineup, he hadn't worn a leash or something, and he was prone foiling. No, that was yeah, yeah I remember. Old that one. one, but I mean that's the I'm only sure sort does, of footage I've seen of you know. Yeah, but there was never any evidence of what actually happened no, in the water. It was just, Wasn't that the video the where board. they were just fighting on the beach? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And how many times? How many times a day does that happen with actual, with surfers be surfers against? Well, exactly. So be, beginner surfers. Surfers have it all the time. Is it um, Blake Olson, who's the guy that does a lot of e foiling? He put a post up on Facebook the other day saying that he was in a queue chatting to a woman at an airport and then she said she was a surfer and how much she hated hydrofoilers and people that go hydrofoiling. And of course, he's like Mr. E-foil and he was like trying to sort of talk around. And then I think it came down to the fact that they ended it with she hated hydrofoils, but not hydrofoilers. Because she's like, you can't hate people for something that they do. You can hate the sport. But it's this... But they're all fed this information. So they've all been told they're going to get cut up. They're going to get killed. They're going to be, you know, yeah. have their faces chopped off. I, which is I, what, I which saw we, your we used response. To have from kiting and you had the, I remember yeah, you so. commented on some blog post from some lady. Yeah, that was and awful, I remember, that blog post. I remember post. doing... <laughs> I remember I put a very... I saw the discussion of the thread and the discussion was well and truly over. Like every side of the argument had been made. <laughs> So I remember I just put some satirical reply <laughs> kind of taking the mick and I'm pretty sure you quite like that. Yeah. No, your response your response was good on that one. I, I did enjoy that. You you said something and Boulder said something. So have you um have you the question is, have you set up the West Wales surf foil crew? Because of course it's very, you know, trendy now well, that you have to set up your regional surf foil crew. So there's so it's a bit quiet in West it Wales is a bit if quiet. you manage to get a handful of people involved. Well, there'd be three of us, basically. So there's literally... That's a crew, that's isn't it? There is a crew. a crew. So there's my mate Ollie, who still does... He does a bit of prone and quite a lot of stand-up. And then there's a guy called Alec, who does stand-up. And then there's myself, who does prone. And that's it. We haven't seen anyone else. There is a guy on an e-foil that comes out occasionally. I think his name's Di Swan. Good Welsh name. Um, but yeah, there's there's really not many of us here. But it's it's the condition thing, you know. We just need like that perfect little spot to make it work all the time. You not had Mogsy involved with it? Ah, uh, yeah, I forget. Is the wing side of things different. I forget Mogsy. He's down in Tenby, so that's miles away. So he's going to kill me for saying this. But yeah, Mogsy's all over it. Oh, he can set up his own crew. Yeah. he can set he's, up his own got, crew if he's not close. He's got his own crew. He's like he's just off doing his own thing. But he goes out of Fistral quite a lot. So he's kind of South Pembrokeshire. We're North Pembrokeshire. So he goes down to Fistral and tells me it's really really good. And I should probably go down there a bit more. With him. Is there a, there's a fistral in Pembrokeshire, is it? Uh, not fistral, sorry. Freshwater West. Freshwater West. I was going to say. Yeah, no, not fistral. Freshwater West. So that's near Tenby. So he's out of that spot quite a lot. But he's 
Um, well, who was it? Someone went out with him. I'm going to get in trouble for saying this. Someone went out with him and went through the lineup. And Moxie was sort of saying, oh, I spent years, you know, curating these boys to be OK with me on my hydrofoil. And then someone just went steaming through the lot of them. <laughs> but was actually really, really good. But was kind of good enough to steam through everyone. And Moxie was sort of saying, oh, you know, this is got to be more careful and i get the need to sort of keep beaches open because there's loads of problems down in cornwall right they're having loads of issues with it with the surfers trying to sort of stop it and stuff and that's i don't i don't i don't I mean, know the, oh, i think the main the main thing that happened that i think it was it was either yourself or dom steamed in in on a conversation when Perrinporth basically it all popped up that cornish beaches banned foiling and it's 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 going to happen everywhere and it was effectively Perrinporth who already have a kite surfing restriction i.e just go 100 meters further up the beach just said do you know what we're just going to lump it in and do the same thing which i kind of thought yeah fine if you've got the space to do it and kiting's already in a certain area on the beach just send the foils up there if it's on a great big long beach i mean the, there's no issue the with tricky it. thing but is I think everyone, it was clickbait it's again. new right foiling's new so that's the tricky thing it's easy to get rid of the new thing it's very hard to get rid of the old thing and surfing is the original you know board sport that's the granddaddy of them all you know it was there before skateboarding so that is the thing that you're never going to beat them so you've kind of got to be respectful and you've kind of got to go you know what there's too many surfers out today i'm not going to take my prone foil out and just accept that and maybe go surfing because you know if there's loads of surfers out it probably means the waves are good and you can go and have a good well, yeah, that's, that's the argument isn't it you'd, you'd hope most of us are common sense the reason we're foiling is because we want to file in the rubbish conditions the conditions that are good for foiling which are rubbish for, exactly. for anything else so i get the need soon, to be, we, we've said before we get the need to be respectful and i think people always should be um, but I definitely think, you know, we're right in saying that there's a very much a, a knee-jerk reaction from the surf industry. Like, I I laughed quite a lot at the Raglan Surf Report um, thing on foiling where he had all the knives <laughs> and he made all the hydrofoils. On the skateboard. Yeah, that was good. Yeah, uh, was it the land, land-based hydrofoils yeah. and he put his knives on his skateboard or something? Yeah, so yeah. I, quite, I, like I quite like that. But, you know, that's just something that prone foiling is going to have to deal with. And it'll only get better by the actions of the people that are prone foiling and educating the surfers. That's it. I think the good thing as well is we have noticed a little trend towards the more waterman-based stuff, as in becoming a waterman, since Kyleni has boomed to where he is now. Freddie, are you saying that you're a waterman? I am saying I'm a trainee. Trainee waterman. <laughs> <laughs> but there's 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 more there's more of an acceptance towards doing different disciplines because finally all these Brits are seeing the Hawaiians who I guess have been like that for a long time. You look at Robbie Nash and now you look at Kyle Lenny and you look at all those guys over there that do what they need to do on, on whatever set day it is. I think that's that's really cool and that's that's probably coming from the likes of Kyle Lenny's media, yes as in magazine stuff, but also his vlogs, you know, is, is every time there's a Kyleni effect, definitely. Every time you see one of his videos, I've talked about this with Tom before, you're like, yes, he's kiting. I do that. I, yeah. you know, woo, kiting. Um, and then he jumps on something else or, or you know, and it, yeah, I think that's, that's all these coming across here a little all bit. All these sports are born out of conditions, aren't they really? So, you know, you had surfing in the original days and then the people in Maori were like oh it's really windy it's too windy for surfing what can we do I would stick a sail on a surfboard and go windsurfing you know and then kiting came along because 
you know, windsurfing was only really good when it was super windy. So, oh, when it's not so windy, we'll stick a big kite up. It's got loads more power mm. and we can go and ride the waves on that. And then wing foiling, 100% is, you know, oh, it's gusty and it's offshore and it's not very good for kiting. We can go wing foiling. And if you pigeonhole yourself into just one of those sports, then I just think you miss out. Because certainly here in Wales, I used to mountain bike and ride my motorbikes a lot. And I barely touch them these days because sadly, and Mary, my other half, hates me for it. But because you can always do something on the water, because if it's offshore, you go winging. If the surf's good, you go surfing. If it's great for kiting, you go kiting. And that's another interesting one. There's a lot of wing surfers here who don't go surfing and don't go windsurfing anymore. They just go windsurfing and they'll rock up to the beach and be like, oh, it's no good for wing surfing. I'm not going out because they're so addicted to wing surf or wing foiling. They want to be on the wing foil. Yeah, and you're like, and it's you're like, 30 knots, it's, which is yeah. like shit. And you're used to wait weeks for conditions yeah, like this. Yeah, it's like epic conditions. Get your kite gear out, get your windsurfing gear out. So I think it's good to sort of be a little bit into all of it. Um, would you say Would you say that your, like two-part question, would you say that your passions are equally split, split between the sports or do you have a favouring section? And like in periods where you are favouring a particular section, do you allow that to affect your um, where you put your energy in terms of your business, like in terms of the magazines and like where you're focused? Um, so the first or not? Part, yeah, no, the first part. It's... Freddie's bit at the end of that question was, or do you just follow the money? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I would, I'd, I'd love to say we follow the money, but if we did that, we wouldn't be doing kite and foil magazines. We'd be doing football and uh, car magazines. You wouldn't talk. To, you wouldn't be talking to. No, us we'd be. Idiots. We'd all be, be doing something completely different if we're following money. There was a, exactly. a good lesson I learned very early on in the days. If you want to become a millionaire in the water sports industry, start off a billionaire. Um, and that is a pretty good way of looking at it. You know, there are people that have made a lot of money out of these sports, but they're very few and far between. So most of us are in it for the passion. Um, but in terms of where I split the sports, there's definitely, I would love to go prone foiling every day of the week if I could. That would be the one thing that's the most addictive thing I've done. I love those 10 days and whenever I get a chance to do it, but the conditions just don't allow. So I tend to just let the conditions dictate what I'm doing which lately has been a lot of kite wave sailing. We've just had massive waves, huge winds. And today, actually, I was a bit gutted because I was, hadn't been on the wing since Ireland. I was desperate to go winging. I went to Broadhaven North, where the swell's a little bit smaller, but it was still 10-foot beach break trying to get out on the wing, which took a good 15 minutes of waiting for a spot. And I actually made it look pretty good. I just stood in the short, well, just stood getting smashed for a bit saw a gap, went out and got some of the best waves I've ever ridden. They were absolutely monstrous when I was on them. I was like, oh, this is definitely biting off a bit more than I can chew here. I best not crash. Um, but then I found out that it was really good kite conditions at Newgale. And I probably should have just gone kiting. So I think the more you do one sport, the more bored, not bored of it, but the more kind of comfortable you get with it. And you go, I want to get back and do a bit of wing foiling or prone foiling or kite foiling. Um, so then you go back to that sport. So I sort of try and mix them up. And in terms of where the business goes, um, you know, the focus is kind of equal. We, we sort of put just as much effort into the mountain bike magazine, which doesn't make really very much money at all, um, as we do the, the kite and the, the foil and wing magazine, which obviously just make enough money for us all to sort of have a bit of a living out of it. So, yeah, it's, a, it's definitely a sort of a mix as to where we put our energies. Does the fact... Um does the fact that you smashed your ankle into a billion pieces does that impact your mountain biking interest a little bit just coming from 
A, a fellow mountain biker, and B, someone that also hurt themselves. Is, is that something that affected that or not at all? So it's a weird one, that, because I thought it definitely would. And I have a really bad thing. When you give me a set of handlebars, I just want to go as fast as I possibly can, whether that's on the <laughs> motorbike or the mountain bike. I am, like, off the brakes, just being as stupid. And sometimes my head will just be like, little voice just goes, Rue, if you fall off now, you're going to, you know, mess yourself up pretty bad. But I find it really hard to switch that off. Um, and a couple of times I've been chasing friends who are better than me on a mountain bike and trying to keep up with them, just going, I'm on my ragged edge. So, yeah, the injury I thought would affect me more mentally than it has done. Um, and I guess that just means I'm lucky in the way that, you know, I recovered and, and managed to get back to being sort of fit and I, I don't really feel it at all and it doesn't really affect any of my decision making which touch a bit of wood somewhere. do you ride to the same yeah you know, do, do you ride to the same level that you did then I mean I don't know if I'm at the same level I did check my Strava times the other day and I was definitely faster on some trails than I was before I broke my ankle um so yeah there's definitely you know the speed that's been gained. But the thing with mountain biking, you, you you always crash, right? G. Afferton, one of the best mountain bikers yeah. in the world, had some of the most horrific crashes in the world. And then... I can't believe he's gone back to it after that Ridgeline crash. Ah, it's just horrendous. Absolutely horrendous. I did a good podcast with him. You should listen to it. Intriguing Beans podcast. Get it out. Yeah, that's it. a good one. But he, he, was one of, <laughs> he was one of the most interesting people because I couldn't believe his attitude towards getting injured. And it's just like, well, I've just, I just got to get back on the horse and just go ride the bike as fast as I can again. And I guess there's that, there's that little sort of screw loose. I mean, I was always known as being accident prone. So I broke my leg when I was two years old um, and I haven't stopped breaking things since then. So I think I have this sort of dangerous switch in my head where I'm just like, yeah, I'm going to do that to the best of my abilities and, you know, to hell with the consequences. And as I get older, I'm 46 now, I think, um, I definitely do sort of slow down a little bit. So I actually sold my BMX because I decided I didn't want to break myself on my BMX because I thought I You're don't way too old for I BMX don't route. I don't love my BMX enough to hurt myself on it whereas if I love the sport I'm doing mm. I don't mind the con yeah I don't mind paying the price for for getting to a high level and getting that buzz that you get did from you fast. did you ever watch um that Travis Pastrana documentary 199 lives from a God knows how many years ago. He's now. had so many injuries. Those it. motocross guys. That's insane. Unbelievable. And they'll like break their collarbone one weekend and be racing the next weekend with a broken collarbone with bolts in it and stuff. They're absolute nut jobs. The thing I remember from that was him saying that because he he had a really bad he, he dislocated his hip, didn't he, when he was quite Ooh. young. And in both sides, and he and he and his attitude was, Well, I've I've been through the most pain I've ever been through in my entire life. And could possibly because it was internal bleeding. I think it was out for a few weeks before he managed to get it in because nobody could realize nobody realized what was going on and why he was in so much pain. And it turned out that all his organs were bleeding inside, and it was just horrible. And it, and it, like it's just a backwards mentality to think. Well, I've I've been I've been through the worst pain anyone could ever possibly be through, so it doesn't matter what I do next because it won't be as painful as this. I mean, I th which it probably comes back to that was great line in Train Spotting, where there's a reason why they all do heroin because it's bloody good fun, 
um, which is not a uh, which is not a plug for doing drugs in any state. But I mean, that's why we do these sports, right? We get a hell of a buzz out of it. And if we didn't get that buzz, we wouldn't. We do don't. It. We don't condone taking drugs no. at the generic foil. Definitely point. not. We'll just say that. But now. Tra- Trade Spot is a good movie, and uh, there's that line in there. And I often think, well, you know, why do you go out and ride waves that are, you know, absolutely huge? That you know, like you were chatting about that time when you were kite foiling, how big the waves were. And you drop your your kite, you know, and you could have drowned. That's very real possibility. Why would you? There are people that would not put themselves. That in would that have situation. really ruined my holiday. Yeah, that would, that have, would, it would have ruined everyone's that would holiday. Have really, it would have been terrible. Have really, <laughs> I'd have been really pissed but, off. But you know, that that's would have really ruined. It was the start of the week as well. It was yeah. the start of the week, so everyone would have had to spend the entire week there knowing. The, Freddie's, Freddy's just, just died. died. I mean, we'd have probably drunk more Guinness. We probably would have done. Yeah. Sort of in a morning and, capacity. And toasted. But... Well, it's black, isn't it, Guinness? So it would have been fitting. But, you know, there's there's a lot of people in this world that will never, you know, never have that thought process that they want to go and do that thing. They'll never look at it and go, oh, you know what? I want to go and do that. And so I think we did a, we counted up the numbers once of what percentage of people you were if you were a kite surfer. And it was something like you're in the 0.0000001% of the population. Because when you work out 7 billion people, 250,000 kite surfers may be at tops that actually regularly go and do it. It is a tiny number. So all these people, I think, that kite surf and foil and, and do the sports that we do, they have that little switch in their brain where they get this mega buzz from doing it. And that's why they want to do it. And to hell with the cost sometimes, you know, they'll go without a meal if it means they can afford their next their next hit from uh you know putting petrol in the car <laughs> these days but you know that's that sort of the makeup i guess of the people that do sports and that's why there's so much camaraderie in it and people you know you generally don't meet another foiler or kite surfer down the beach and you go oh, that guy was an asshole or that person was horrible or god i met that girl and she was awful you know everyone's just like oh yeah they're really cool they're on the same wavelength they've got that same little switch in their brain and they enjoy doing the things it's that we funny. love it's funny you say about making it happen. One of the, like, as as you teach any sports, there tends to be certain things that you realise resonate with people and so you sort of try and include them in your, you know, your, your spiel of every lesson. And one of the things I say on my winging lessons to people is that everyone's always a little bit more budget conscious on the first set of gear that they buy winging. And then once they can foil <laughs> and reliably <laughs> turn around, it doesn't matter what it no. costs at that point. Checkbook goes out the window. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I need well, it. Yeah, yeah I absolutely. Need once they've decided what foil they're upgrading to, the lies they start. might sell themselves on the street if they have to. <laughs> so years and years and years ago, I was going out with someone and I used to tell her that the number 10 on the kite meant it cost 10 quid. <laughs> <laughs> And I, I don't know. Where did you, where did you find? <laughs> yeah, person? I know. They can't have didn't had, last they long. Can't have had much <laughs> <going> <laughs> <on>. <laughs> it didn't last that long. Kite surfing definitely got in the way of that relationship. But yeah, I bet I am not alone. I mean, it doesn't happen now, obviously, because Mary kite surfs and and she has hydrofoiled a bit, but she's not massively into winging. But she does all these sports. Plus, through the magazines, obviously, I'm I'm fortunate enough to get to test a load of gear, so I don't have to put my hand in my pocket that often. But I do actually buy things that I want to have because I'm like, well, you know, if I'd I'd rather have that 
you know, like a wetsuit or something. I don't want to be waiting to test a 5-4 wetsuit when winter comes. I want to make sure I've got a 5-4 wetsuit I can go and use. So I will spend money on it. But I bet, you know, a lot of people listening to this podcast have maybe told the odd little white lie about what that thing cost from the shop. <laughs> well, I mean, you've, only, you've only got to watch all the memes about oh. the sports stuff, haven't you? Yeah. Memes about how much bikes cost and what they tell their their husbands and wives about yeah. what stuff actually costs. But it works. What do you... He, he, he got his... He got his he got his card out his wallet to buy that upcoming wetsuit from Ion, didn't he? Do you know the one I'm talking Which about? Which one's that? I haven't. With some protection. With, with some, some protection built oh, in. Oh, the padded bits in. Yeah, I'm not. I don't know if I'm a fan <laughs> of that. I think wear your protection if you want it. I guess with wing foiling, shin pads when you're learning and knee pads when you're learning is a good thing. I never did it, but my brother did, and he swore by it. And I did spend a week in Sicily trying to ride a 65-litre board and my knees were bleeding by the end of it because I was in a shorty as well, which makes it even worse. One one thing we've found quite a lot from uh, using suits and, and selling wetsuits is we're getting a lot of people coming back with, oh, my knee pads have completely worn away. The, 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 the suit's shit. It's falling apart. It's really bad quality. Uh, well, hang on. Do you want to tell me what sports you do yeah. with it? Oh, I'm learning to win. There you go. Well, there you, you go. Spent... Mine, mine have been leaking. My wetsuit's been leaking for months since I since I got the thing because you spend that much time getting smashed around, clawing as much as you can with kneecaps. Yeah. It uh, inevitably wears through them. Speaking of your own stuff, Freddie wants to know why you're on full F1. As you know, he um, he seems well, to have so an issue no, with my first, love for my family. I have issues with it because we've not really shared any other things too much other than the two brands that we ride ourselves. <laughs> But from what you mentioned there, what kit-wise wing foil board have you put your hand in your pocket and bought? And what is demo? Is there anything specific? There might not be at all. Yeah, so is there anything specific foil side? That most of the most you've of the bought? kit I'm on at the moment is all test gear, so it's demo gear from F1. So I in Kitin, I've got a set of Duotone kit that um, Emma Beckinsale, who's the importer for or agent for Duotone. She kindly loans me that gear, which is very kind of her, and I'm very lucky to have that opportunity. Um, and then it's kind of the same with F1. It's just given to me on a loan basis um, so I can kind of use it and test it. So the deal is I, I get it, I write tests about it, put it in the magazine, and then um, you know I hold on to it for a little bit longer than perhaps I should do. Um, so, yeah, it's a tough one. But the reason... I think I was quite lucky with the F1 gear. Freddie's going to hate this, but because it is pretty good you know it's it's really it's really well put together and i know rafael salas who's the um owner of the brand he's someone who spends more time on the water than anyone else like he's eight hours a day testing gear every day like i think it's something like 340 days of the year he's testing gear and those 20 days when he's not testing gear he's snowboarding or mountain biking in Meribel or something like that. So he is on the water a lot and it shows in the sense that the kit is really good. But I also say there's a path to least resistance. You know, we test all sorts of gear, but on the wing side, Jack Galloway is a much better tester than me for that. I don't profess to be at a level where I can really write test reports um, and test loads and loads of different things because my I'm a good winger and I can now, but back you know, two years ago, we got Jack involved to do all the testing because he was really, really good at winging and 10 times better than me. So, yeah, so on in terms of putting my long arms in my short pockets or my short arms in my long pockets, wing-wise, um, it's all sort of 
demo kit on loan at the moment. But I, if I was going out and I was buying something, um, there's definitely a few brands that I'd consider. I'd like to try some of the Axis stuff just because I've seen you guys with it. I'd like to have a go on that. And there's uh, not interested. Not interested. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. Don't want to try it. No. Well, it's, it's funny as well. There's, <laughs> it's it's bad to say that there's a you know there's a reason for some of these things as well. But like I create a lot of content and F1 are really big supporters of the magazine. So if I've got F1 gear when I'm creating content, that keeps F1 happy. Um, and it's the same with Duotone. They support the Kite magazine quite a lot. So if I'm making a video and I've got Duotone gear, it's a nice way to kind of keep them happy. But I do like trying different things. I mean, it's, testing for me is always a tricky one. I used to test everything and I'd, I'd write, you know, back in the early days of the magazines, I would literally write all the tests, do all the photos for the test, do all the videos for the test, plus do all the articles. Everything literally was done by me. Um, and it was just me and my brother. That was it, creating, you know, 150-page magazine back then. And you kind of get a little bit sick of it. You get to a point where you're like, oh. and the nice thing is you get a nice shiny box arrive with some new toys in it. You're like, wow, isn't this exciting? You get it down the beach and you go and ride it. You go, this is awesome. And then you're like, oh, I've got to write 1,500 words about it. And annoyingly, I've had 20 things turn up. So I've got to write, you know, 30,000 words about all this test gear. Um, and you can do that for so many years. And then I just think, you know, these days I'd rather have trusted testers that can do that testing for me. So you're obviously in a in an interesting position as a magazine where those that are providing you the gear to test quite often are paying the bills. Yep. So like there's also, you know, there there is product that gets released which compared to everything else is just shit. Yep. And whether that comes out of poor quality control when it goes from prototype to manufacture or whether it just gets rushed, who cares? How do you manage those situations? So it's and a first question. First question is what is the worst bit of kit you've ever been sent to review? <laughs> I want to know if would you answer that question? Is and, there and, specific and if it if it if it would be controversial, we can edit this bit out. It doesn't have to no, be new, it could be like So I mean if you go back you go back to the early days of kiting, so two thousand and four um when i was test when i sort of first started testing gear um and yeah we'd have boards that we'd snap them on the beach before we'd even ridden them because they were just made so badly back then before they got the snowboard technology we used to have this thing called the flex test this is you know back then it was cutting edge oh what's the flex like <laughs> and what's the rebound on the flex so when you push it does it spring back because when you're popping on a twin tip kiting you want that spring back but you want it in a certain way and you can feel it on the water but you'd also kind of you'd have five boards on the beach and you'd give them all a flex test and yeah we literally just snap one straight off doing the flex test on the beach um I'm not going to name a brand, but what happens in those instances? <laughs> so what happens in those instances? Uh, just adding to that, it's my I I am under the belief that quite a few brands now are in the pursuit of lightness are perhaps underbuilding their twin tips. Yes, I think. I know this is a foiling podcast. I don't know whether you agree with oh, me, perhaps. but I'm noticing this trend, and there's a lot of boards that I'm pretty sure if I rode hard on a solid freestyle session and a bit of chop, I don't think they'd last very long. But is that, is that a board that's designed for that as opposed yeah. to? Yeah, I think they're all. It's, it comes down to a lot of things, right? Materials are expensive. So if you can cut a layer of glass out, you save 
you know, if you're making a thousand, if you're making ten thousand boards, and you save two dollars on every board, that's twenty thousand dollars. My math is terrible, but I think that's it right. Pays for a few warranties. Yeah, so it kind of covers you off. So it's like, and most riders aren't going to be pushing it to the kind of level that you're at. So it's difficult. But coming back to the testing thing, we actually have a really strict rule about it. So while we are supported by the brands in terms of advertising, we have never ever promised them a good test. And if we don't like something, we will tell them about it. And I've had some really difficult conversations and we've actually lost advertisers over it in the past because as a magazine, I would rather keep the integrity of the testing process, um, you know, true than actually say something is good when it's patently not because very quickly people will go, oh, I read that test, I bought it and it's rubbish. And why people read a test, you know, if you're buying whatever it is, a twin tip, a foil, you want to, you're basically looking to justify your buying decision. You've probably made up in your head that you like the colour, you like the brand, you think that's the foil for you, you're about to pull the trigger on the buy button, but you just want to reinforce that buying decision. And that's where the tests and reviews come in. And we all do it, whether it's buying audio equipment for a podcast, you know, where we're more punters in something. And we're like, right, what's the best microphone? What's the best this? You're going to suck up all this information. So you're looking for you know, something to reinforce that buying decision. So if you then buy that product, having read a good test and it's awful, you're going to be like, well, hang on a minute. You said this was terrible. You, know, you said this was fantastic and it's, it's absolutely terrible. So on numerous occasions, we've actually lost advertising and I've had blazing rows. I remember being in a, a traveling car park on the motorway services with <laughs> um, a, the owner of a kite brand literally swearing at me because he was telling me, because they all think their equipment's the best things in sliced bread. And I'm like, mate, I'm really sorry. That is the worst kite I've flown in some time. And we're in 2008 <laughs> now. So it's quite hard to make a bad kite in 2008. So it really is pretty awful. And I think it's it's interesting because kite surfing kit generally, I know it's a foiling podcast, but they've reached a plateau where all the kit's pretty decent. You know, there's very small changes happening. There's a bit of a material shift at the moment, but you know, generally from year to year, it's not a massive step change. And it's when you do those big changes that you run the risk of, of making the product, you know, not as good as it was in the past or not as good as the competition. But in foiling, there's a lot of product out there and a lot of people rushing to market and perhaps not investing that time in the testing, which comes back to, you know, I enjoy riding the gear that Raphael makes over at F1 because I know he's put a lot of time into testing it. That's, you know, I haven't tested heaps of kite of wing gear, so I can't speak for all the other brands. And Jack is amazing and he, he rides it and he goes, oh, you've got to try this. It's really, really good. Whatever it's from, I think New Cabrina stuff he was absolutely raving about. But, you know, it just comes back to, for us, it's got to be, you know, testing has got to be really, you know, truthful because people will see through it really quickly. And we'd, we'd rather lose the money. You know, we don't, it'd be, you know, of course we need the money from everyone. It's a really small business. When you look at what the magazines get paid compared to, you know, what, what some of the money the brands are making, it is a tiny, tiny, tiny pot that we're splitting between quite a big team. Um, and so we'd all obviously rather have the cash, but at the same time, if it's going to come down to it, we'll just say, well, we won't take the money. And to back that up a little bit more, I'm also not in the business 
of completely destroying someone's brand. So we'll always speak to the brand first and try and find out, was it a production issue? Was there a problem with manufacturing? Have we been sent a dodgy kite? Have we been sent a dodgy wing? Is the foil you know, popped out of the mould wrong? Do you want to send us another one to test? Have we picked up on something that you've discovered? And you sometimes they agree and go, yeah, actually, yeah, you, you did spot that. You know, I remember being in, um, where was I, somewhere, I think it was, where was it? Somewhere abroad, oh, Morocco with F1 and uh, Robert Graham, the kite designer there, he had this new, um, I think it was the Halo or something, the F1 sort of free ridey kite. And he got it on test and he's like an amazing kite designer. He really knows his stuff. It's a really interesting chap. And he asked me to have a go on it. And I'd recently flown um, one of the fly surfers, the Hyperlink. And it was basically, they were trying to make a Hyperlink style kite. And what I loved about the Hyperlink, which is a foil kite for those people that don't know, is it feels like a tube kite. You jump on it and it just works. And I went out on this halo and I was like, Robert, that is absolutely terrible. And he's like, no, it's not. It's amazing. It's fantastic. All my pro riders <laughs> have told me it's amazing. And I said, no, it's really bad. It's backstalling. You need to change this on the bridle. You need to do that. And then try doing that. Try doing this. And he just got really shirty with me. And he actually stormed off. And I was like, oh, I hope I haven't upset him. And then he took the kite out and later on in the bike came up to me and goes, you're exactly right. You know, the pro riders were just telling me it was great because that's what they do. And you were spot on. It's They wanted to be done. Yeah, with yeah, it. yeah. They and they probably it. hadn't flown another foil kite. So they didn't know what they were feeling and stuff like that. So I always think with testing, you know, you've got to be honest. And if you're not honest, it's not going to work. But at the same time, not in the business of ruining someone's business. So if something is really terrible, we'll talk to them about it, say it's terrible. We might agree to disagree. And that test might just, you know, never get published. But I'd rather not publish a test than, you know, publish Yeah, something. you could just say nothing, couldn't you? And I suppose it depends. It's I think, easier. I think my attitude, like my attitude to something like that would simply be whether or not somebody's been deceitful, I suppose. Well... Do you know what I mean? Like if we if we were if we were to find out that you know that a brand had done something wrong with a particular product and they had marketed it and sold deceit, it, yeah, and yeah, and then you know, and they and they voluntarily made a terrible choice. I wouldn't feel so bad to yeah. to expose that. Whereas if it was just a case of you know something a bit negative but doesn't need to be said, then I mean, yeah, you get you get the classic where everyone's like, oh, why can't you be like Top Gear? Just say what you want. And there's been a few mountain bike magazines that have come to market and said, we're going to say what we want. We're going to be like Top Gear. We're going to do this stuff. But the trouble is, it's a small industry that we're in. You know, we're not making, you know, mega bucks. It's really, really tiny money that we're talking about. And so you need the support of those brands to exist. And the minute you start, you know, being like Top Gear and saying, oh, we don't like this and we don't like that. And this is terrible. And this is rubbish. Then those brands will just stop working with you. And one, you're not going to get any kit to test from them anymore. Um, and two, they won't work with you. And those magazines very quickly disappear. And the thing to remember is Top Gear is a publicly funded magazine by the BBC. They get paid regardless. So if they get the latest Jaguar and say it's rubbish, Jaguar's not really got any say in it other than maybe we won't send them a car for the next six years because you pissed us off. That's the avenue we've got to go down. Yeah, it, so it's... What, we want to be publicly funded. Yeah, publicly <laughs> yeah, funded. With BBC yeah. sounds. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's one of those things. So it's, people sort of want to hear it. But generally speaking, if you read one of our reviews... There is no bullshit to it. If we say something is good, it is good. And you, you can read between the lines. So we had an incident with a brand and they'd bought out a load of new kites. And I actually said to them, I said, look, this is what I think of your kites. I don't think they're where they should be. I don't think they've been um, worked on in the manner that they perhaps could have been worked on because you're up against a time constraint. 
and you know this is my feeling of how they were when I wrote them and they were actually really good and they said you know what you can publish the review so I did publish the review and if you read the review you were like okay cool that's a pretty honest review but the nice thing for them was when they bought the new kites out the next year and they were really good they got a good review from me and they were like well that's more valuable than not so you know it's got to be a sort of a mutually led thing between the brand and I always sort of say look there's there's some negatives can we work out why are you happy for me to publish this nine times out of ten they're like yeah no problem but sometimes we have an argument and sometimes that argument leads to us losing money and we'd rather lose money than you know sell our soul yeah that's good very good now I know you've been very generous with your time that's so right. <laughs> I got I got one one more question I'd like to ask is how how it kind of comes back to what you said about every brand thinking that their um you know that their own stuff is the best or whether they you know whether they're saying it from a sales perspective or whether they believe it who knows what what would you be able to tell us about sort of new materials and whether they're here to stay and whether one is going to be a front runner because i feel like we've gone from this prospect of having d not d alula alula we've gone from this having a Lula to now there being who keeper and there's another one and there's another one, you know, there's like five competitors to Dacron now. And then you've got other brands that are simply changing weights of Dacron. Like how much of this do you think is just marketing? How much of it is going to lead to a bit of a game changing thing? Have you used a product with a new material where you've gone? Shit, that was good. So it's a good question actually, because when I was out today, as I did my winging homework and went for this wing, it got really, really windy. Like at the end, I was on a three and a half meter and I was literally blown off the water. Like I couldn't, you know, I was just overpowered. I should have been on two meter or something. It must've been 45, 50 knots. It was nuts. Like water was just being picked up everywhere. And as I was riding around, cause I was enjoying myself while still sort of clinging on, I thought this wing is toast. And you mentioned that about, was it the 4.2 that you couldn't <laughs> pump anymore? Cause it had been used by the school and it was toast. And with kiting, that doesn't happen because the way a kite flies through the air, it doesn't get the same forces applied to it as a wing. And so I think, crucially, wings need this step change in material usage. I don't necessarily think Dacron is where the biggest advancement is going to be. I think it's going to be in the canopy because that canopy now on that wing, and if I ever sell it, then obviously, you know, it's never been raced or rallied. <laughs> You'll retract this and it's statement. Fine. But yeah, I mean, I think, I think wings have got a shelf life. That Tejin material stretches, you know, and they lose shape and they get baggy and, and that happens. So... The Alula stuff and the Hukipa stuff, that's more about saving weight on Dacron. Obviously, when you look at a product, the, the quickest way to save weight on it is to look at the heaviest part of the product. And Tejin doesn't weigh a lot. And generally, you're looking to make things lighter, stronger and faster. That's the goal for anything. So you go, OK, where can we shave weight? Well, let's change the Dacron. We can shave loads of weight, make it 30% lighter by using Alula, I think is the statistic they like throwing around but actually i think in the sport of winging what we need are canopies that can handle being hit by a foil and not just cut like paper because you know we do <laughs> crash into them from time to time it's getting expensive yeah it's getting expensive is that, is that gonna happen i now? think it is so sure i used uh was it a prototype wing from air rush and it was their new race wing and this was down at our demo down in littlehampton that we did um in i think it was july this year mm. and Honestly, that thing was unbelievable. So I can't remember the name of the material, but it was kind of, it's not, it's not the same as the windsurfing material. It was different. It's different 
weight to it, but it was kind of like had an X-ply Kevlar layer to it. And because it was stiff, it wouldn't stretch. So you could use it, you know, I was chatting to Mike Burt, who's the importer for Airrush in the UK. He said, I've had this wing out in all conditions. It's got exactly the same canopy profile, no matter how overpowered it is. But also when you were riding it, it was stiff and it didn't flap. So you weren't getting all that drag from a flapping trailing edge. Even when you're overpowered and you depowered it, because the wing had a little bit more stiffness to it, it wasn't changing its shape and, and causing drag that way. And it was just rocket ship fast, like really rocket ship fast. And I came in and I said to Mike, I said, you know what, I don't often say this, but when that comes out, I'll buy one of those off you because that is freaking awesome. Like I really enjoyed using it. And so I think that's where the change is going to come. Now, the scary bit is I was chatting to Mark Shin in Ireland um, and he said he's working with similar materials. And the issue is the cost of these materials is where it's going to hit. So he was talking about wings that are going to cost upwards of two grand because of these new materials. Aren't they already, they're already getting there next year with the Duotone. I thought, yeah, I thought you were going to say higher to that. I mean, I couldn't afford it, but there will be people that well, will. Well, I mean, I think I think upward to two, two and a half grand, something like that. But then if you, I would probably think, well, that's an investment if that wing's going to last me three or four seasons because it's not going to stretch and it's not going to bag out. And if I crash into it, my wing's not going to go straight through it. You know, Mark was saying the material he's using, he can't, put his foil through it and he's tried you know it just doesn't doesn't get punctured and i think that's a real key so the alula stuff and the hukipa stuff yes it's great for weight saving do you need to save weight on a wing it's already pretty light it flies anyway I and mean, obviously lighter wings are more fun to use certainly in the bigger sizes i think it makes a big difference but in the smaller sizes when it's windy anyway i don't think you feel it so much but i think that canopy material is where we're going to see the biggest change um and that's going to sort of ha happen fairly rapidly. But obviously there's a limit to the amount of material out there as well. There's a material shortage across all sports at the moment. So some brands will get hold of it. Other brands won't. You know, it's going to be a while before we sort of see these products in full production. But I think it's an exciting future to look forward to for sure. Well, you know when you get sent one to test... We'll get you boys on Who's it. First, <laughs> who's first to call? You know, Jack will be all over that. Freddie, like, cherry picking this yeah, one. Well, I love this one. I love this one. <laughs> he might be fast, but I reckon we'll have him in a fight, you see. So he's, he's got to get it first to run away with it, then he'll be fine. Otherwise, it's ours. And Freddie will do a pretty good job of trying to put his foil through it, I reckon. I'll oh, do a good job of it. Well i got some sharp foils. After, we got some I've got to say, when I watched you riding in Ireland, I haven't ridden with you boys before. Oh, I knew you were And that was that. just, I, knew like, I was just in tears. I was having a bad Absolutely time. in tears laughing. And I felt bad because I was sort of just laughing out loud and pointing a fair bit because every time I saw Freddie, he was just <laughs> exploding. And he'd like come in and try and do these like super gnarly powered jibes. And it was just like bits of... Freddie and his kit going everywhere. Uh, yeah, Proper yard yeah, sale. It was funny. Bearing, it, bearing in mind what size, what wing were you on? Were you on your three and a half? I was on my three and a half. Same and as you were on else. the five. When you guys said that you only need a five, you definitely need two wings. To that. You definitely need two wings. Yeah, you do. Know. So that was came back to that video that I did on the where you put your mast track, and a few people have written comments going, "Oh, what about when it's windy?" And it's like, well, when it's windy, just use a smaller foil or a smaller wing. And then your mask can stay in the same spot. You know, you don't need to be moving it. Because there does come a time, as I found out today, when even on a three and a half, you get overpowered. And you're like, oh, maybe I need a two meter wing. Or maybe I should have just gone kite surfing because those are the sort of conditions it's good for. I think if it's t if it's two meter wing, I think get a kite. 
and get away with board, surely. It's got to be, right? Like, three and a half. I reckon, I reckon my rule is if you can be chucking kite loops on a nine, you're not winging anymore. Yeah, it's true. Uh, from what, from, from your uh, people questioning you there, then surely if they're thinking that when, surely when they're going more powered and thinking they need to move their feet further forwards, that just generally means that foil's producing too much lift. Yeah. So either they need to be riding a foil, which isn't going to create isn't lift. Gonna max out and throw you out of the water. Or a smaller or, wing. They ride a smaller, smaller version yeah. of it. So that's uh, and I, yeah. comes back to your speed equation that you did, didn't you, um, Liam? A couple of episodes back, we mm. talked about you know the lift equation, and it you know it just comes down to that speed. If you're overpowered, you're going to go faster, and you do it uncontrollably, and then you're going to breach, and you're going to have a big explosion. So how do you reduce that power and reduce that speed to make it controllable? We either put a smaller front foil on, or you put a smaller wing on. Um, and that's how you kind of. I, I would actually, um, I would advocate for for changing your wing that's in your hand. I think over, over the foil in some respects, because I quite often find one of the issues that I do have only having you know permanent access to a five that's actually mine that I know I can use, is that when I get overpowered because of the way, because of where I tend to hold the wing, and maybe it's just the wing that I'm using, I find myself quite often actually getting pulled forwards and actually ending up with the nose coming down. So it's not a case of my increase of power resulting in me going too fast. I think because of the way that I handle the wing, I'm actually getting pulled forward and actually nose diving quite a lot. Yeah, because you're... Uh, which is just quite an interesting observation because I'm actually just getting yanked forward by so the wing. the centre of effort is getting dragged the, forwards. Yeah. So the solution in that scenario wouldn't actually be adjust the foil end at no. all because that's not really the problem. It's my whole body weight is just getting thrown around. Yeah. So your sort of centre of gravity, not centre of effort. Your centre of gravity is just getting yanked forwards over the front of the foil. Yeah, it's definitely it's one of these yeah, things. Before isn't it? I'm we, even riding at speed. We all got told by Robbie Nash that we only needed a four and a half meter, and that was all we ever needed. And it actually turns out it's quite a kit hungry sport, and you can't just have one wing. And but the problem still... is, Rue, it's that classic thing, isn't it? It's like it's your preference and ability and where you are on the the learning scale because i remember at the beginning of kite surfing my first kite was a 10 i think it was or a 9 or a 10 when i was a bit younger and that's all i had for a very long time and i would ride that underpowered and i would ride that fully overpowered but at that point even when i was overpowered i was still learning something every session and i think my early winging days were like that and i think you get to a certain skill level where you just actually notice all right, I'm not crashing more now because, you know, it is actually the gear and the conditions. Yeah. And if I change them, I would continue to progress. And so I, I do think there's an argument that at the beginning, yeah, you probably do just want one wing. So there's some similarity. And every time you go out, it all feels fairly similar. I just think with, yeah, with time as you get better, the importance of having more gear yeah. increases. I think when you start a five meter wing and a fairly big foil, and that's all you need. And I remember when my mate Ollie got a load more foiling gear, sold all his kite gear, and I'd turn up at the beach and I'd be like, well, 1780 in five meter weather, isn't it? Because that's all I've got. So I'd go out my 1780 <laughs> yeah. in my five meter. And he'd be there <laughs> agonizing over which rear wing to put on and just being like, oh, I don't know about this. And he'd come in and go, oh, I should have had the other one on. And I was like, well, you just should be having one wing set up. That's all you need. And I miss that. I miss not just having one choice because I hate, I hate, I hate that whole standing there. Oh, is it four-metre weather or is it five-metre weather? I did did agonise today as to whether it was five-metre or three-and-a-half because I was like, the waves are pretty big 
<laughs> Sounds like it was a clear decision well, if it was 40 well, miles through. What have you been saying? No, saying? but it's, it's a spot where the wind comes over a cliff, so it's really gusty. And it was really gusty. And the windsurfer said it was windy. Then the rain came and the wind stopped. And I was sort of like getting ready as the wind had stopped. Just going, well, I don't want to be stood at the bottom of one of these monster bits of white water not going i want to be getting going quickly so maybe five's the right decision but yeah three and a half it was um it was nuking by the time i got out so it definitely was the right decision but then i was out there going oh maybe i need a you know a two meter wing but i don't think i need a two meter wing i think i need to go kite surfing well, i used <laughs> yeah, yeah i yeah. used a 3.6 the other day in exmouth when we got back because i was so i was supposed to have a 3.6 when we went kiting uh winging in ireland then but suki and uh, and katie took it to learn on uh, but when I got back, we went out for a session the other day on the three on the three point six, which is like the first time I've, I think I used a three and a half mojo a year and a half ago for the first and only time. It's a, such a different feeling riding a three and a half and a five. Yeah, it's just so the, small. The the, the weight, the light, you can it's so it small. They're so twitchy. They're yeah, they're brilliant. Absolutely loved it, but it did it. It was very much a whoa. I need to reassess again what the hell's going on and every time you change kit it seems to take half an hour or so to actually get to grips which is the half an hour that you saw me in ireland trying to after that i was absolutely fine when, funnily enough when everyone else went in i was absolutely fine then got some bangers away it's generally that nobody that saw half it. an hour is what makes everybody disagree with all of our tests because they'll go oh, i tried that it's rubbish and you're like, how long did you try it for? Well, just like 10 minutes on the beach. You're like, well, of course it's rubbish because your body, your muscle memory is used to working in a way that all of a sudden your muscle memory goes out the window. You can't do what you're thinking, you know, what your body's trying to do. It's trying to do exactly the same thing you do every time you go on the water, but it needs to do something different because the way the wing or the kite or the foil or whatever's working is slightly different. Especially with it's such teeny tiny movement differences yeah. as well. So when you're testing different foils, oh, they, your body... Your body is accustomed to one foil so specifically. The tiny, tiny little muscle movements that you have to do when you change completely change. Yeah. When you change wings, what you have to do to control that wing completely change. Yeah. You're, what did you say the other day? That you're an advocate of if you don't get on with a foil fairly quickly, you don't think it's... I, I am a believer that... But I think, I, think that, I think that comes from having tried a lot. So because I, because I... Especially when I learned to wing, actually, I was on different gear all the time, so I didn't have my own yet. So like during the learning process, I was on a pretty much a different foil and a different board or some combination of the two pretty much every session. So I got quite used to swapping gear um, and still still do, to be fair, because I really enjoy trying different stuff. So I still do swap. And uh, Freddie will hate to hear this, but having been doing that for a good couple of months, I've had we've had some really good winging in Exmouth this last week or so, and I'm back on the 1080 Phantom. And um, I've had <laughs> back some, where you feel comfortable. I've had some absolutely absolute banger of sessions. <laughs> on there. And I was telling Freddie about it, and he's like, "Oh yeah, of course you have." Anyway, <laughs> um, so because I've tried lots of stuff, I do believe that if I can't get used to it in an hour, yeah, then then. Even if even if I gave it longer to get used to it, I do think there's a lot to be said. If I don't get used to it in an hour, that does mark it down a few points in my book because I think a foil should ideally give you some confidence from the outset. What? And I've had this conversation with Rich a lot. There's a couple of foils that mo most of the time, me, this is Rich in Bantam, yeah. that we, you know, he does a lot of testing. And he most of the time we agree almost identically on product but there's like one or two 
where we don't and the main reason for that every time he goes yeah but those two it took me a good five hours to get into yeah i think it's that easy easy to use that's a massive thing isn't it because if something's easy to use then you puts a smile on your face straight away we're all time poor you know we're probably lucky enough to get on the water a little bit more than than some people but i remember working out when i was a kid if i want to go windsurfing and i get a proper job that means i've got 52 weekends of the year and half of those weekends won't be windy and then half of those weekends i'm probably gonna have something to do that's 12 weekends or whatever that i'll get to go windsurfing that's terrible i'm not getting a proper job i'll go and be a windsurfing instructor and windsurf all the time <laughs> be poor forevermore um but yeah so when you're time poor you don't want to spend five hours learning to ride something when you can already foil no. you know it's like if you've if you've cracked wing foiling or prone foiling or whatever it is and i think probably prone foiling it's even more prevalent that a kit change can just throw <laughs> yeah, you completely yeah. how off many, like, how many just... minutes do you actually spend on the <laughs> yeah way? like you spend uh, it's horrible isn't it? when you session. change and you suddenly i mean it's yeah it's, yeah, yeah learning to surf or something like that you know you go out for two hours you might be stood up for a minute in that two hours so your learning time you know when they talk about ten thousand hours to master something you know it's just it's just bonkers and yes we have we have this running joke and our running joke is whenever we go in and we're prone foiling and we're trying a piece of gear that we haven't done before it goes yeah 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 this one this one paddles real nice yeah yeah paddles nice <laughs> yeah, yeah but, but how does it duck dive yeah no yeah, duck yeah, dive's pretty good as well any, any other comments no no, no that's what i've covered right <laughs> now carries really nice yeah carries yeah. nice on the beach that's yeah does it look good yeah it looks pretty yeah. good yeah, likes yeah, the surf yeah. well oh, i don't i didn't get to i like the colors how's it on the I way don't know. <laughs> yeah that's the tricky bit i mean it is just it is really really hard i remember thinking when i first started testing kite gear i used to be quite a good freestyler back in the day and I think 2006 was my pinnacle freestyle year. And it just, testing gear just what was your best threw trick? me off. I used to like, um, I was sort of known for doing a lot of unhooked F16, well, F16s. I was just about to say, loop. I bet you do the F16s. <laughs> I was I thinking did, that's the year. did a lot of down loop S-beds as well, which I absolutely terrified people in yeah. Brazil with. So I remember being in the lagoon and I was quite a big, we're not big, but you know, I'm sort of six two, six one, six two, and just sort of rocking up in Brazil and this clearing out this lagoon as I'm fishing pole in my way down it, throwing S bends and Rayleighs and having horrible wipeouts. But but you know, I thought when you're trying to use all this different stuff, you end up spending so much time learning to use it that you no longer learn any new tricks. And so yeah, and I when I was testing kite foils, which I've done a lot of testing kite foils, I always have to give myself like at least three or four hours to really get dialed into it you know we never test something and just use it for an hour it's always like no we need that for a couple of months because we've got to you know get the time on the water with it and and that's what you need and that's so often people just give something five minutes don't like it doesn't feel like my gear and i didn't think that would be the case with wings i honestly thought that with a wing well wings a wing you're just going to hold it it's going to pull when we did that demo day down in uh, littlehampton I rode, I think, about five or six wings one afternoon, and I could not believe how different they all felt to ride them back to back. And, you know, two of them, I would say, felt pretty horrible, but I was only on them for half an hour, so what's to say that, you know, I wouldn't have spent a bit more time and kind of learnt them a little bit more. But just the balance of them, you know, one would pull on the front arm more than the others, one would pull on the back arm more than the others. And if you're not used to that, that's a very I different feeling. The reason, the, reason, the reason I'm smirking is because for the first six months of Freddie's winging career, every single session he used to come in and I'd like say one wing's better than the other or whatever and every single session, they're all the flipping same. No, they're <laughs> they're all the same. I'm I like, still... honestly, Freddie, they are nothing. I'm like, they're all the same. This is shit. I didn't get up. This is shit. 
I even uh, so what you were saying there, Ruth. It takes. It took me time when I, I was on the fly surfer module five meter one session, and I hadn't ridden it before, and it took me thirty minutes, forty minutes to get to grip. Like, okay, I'm I'm now comfortable with what this thing is going to do. It then ramped up. I went in and I borrowed Chris Burke's three and a half meter mojo, same model. Took me another 30 or 40 minutes to get to grips with what the hell that thing was doing because it was such a different feeling. It completely threw me off. Hence taking the 3.6 the wasp out the other day for the first time. I was like, I get the general feel of it, but it's a very different because it's, it's well, I guess, is it, is it like flying a nine and then a seven? Well, they are very different. A nine and a twelve is a very different kite. Yeah, they are. But well, often they'll design. I don't know. I found that really, really quite. Generally, in kite design, and I would, I would wager this is the same in wing design. They start off with a five with a wing, or with a nine with a kite. That's the two. Yeah, and and they scale up and down. And the thing is, you can't really scale up and down. And some brands won't do that. They'll they'll individually design each one and they'll prototype each one, but. You know, you're talking about 80 to 100 prototypes to get a whole range right. If you've got a range from four up to 15, say, or even 13 in kites or in winging from a, you know, a two to a, an eight, and you want to prototype all of those, you need four or five prototypes. Each one. That costs so much money to do. And so often they'll just get it in CAD, make one, get the prototypes right, and then scale up and scale down. So sometimes you'll find that, you know, one wing works really well and the other one doesn't work quite so well um so it's it's just difficult you know getting the right gear but i think like you said earlier liam get gear that you enjoy riding and if you get to have a ride on it and you're like oh yeah i like that that worked for me then that's going to work for you and that comes back to another thing you know some people really like something that's backhand heavy other people like something that's front hand heavy some people like light bar pressure low bar pressure some people like lifty wings with a low stall point some people want a fast wing with a you know a much much higher stall point so it's it's horses for courses what one person loves another person hates and that's what's difficult for the designers to do but why do they a lot of it because i had that we we i sold some on axis or whatever it was or lent them to try in a shop it was lent yeah lent, lent to try in a shop and came back and said oh it's very it's very i think it was back foot heavy and i was like okay and he was like, oh, it's just really back foot heavy isn't it i was like well i've never really noticed that because it's all that's what I ride. That's what I'm used to. So it's only back foot heavy or it's only front foot heavy or it's only backhand heavy or front hand heavy compared to what you've always ridden. Yep. If you've always ridden one thing, you just it's not to say you don't like that thing. It is that's just different to what I've used in the past. There's, there's no new people that have started generally with a wing and gone the whole way through and said, well, no, I don't actually like it because it's... That's just what it's what they know. They yeah. they like it because it's what they know. They get used to it. They work around it. That's when you that's when you go into something and you try a new product. When you try a new snowboard for the first time and you've suddenly gone from a rocket board to a cambered board. It's not to say that it's shit, is it? It's just, it's just quite important. It's that's what it's quite important different. to express your opinion, isn't it? And caveat yeah. it as an opinion yeah. because, like I know, I'm I'm quite strong with stating my opinion, but I always try and caveat that this is appropriate to me. Yeah. And there may well be other people that, you know, like you said, think that something I don't like, they might absolutely love it. But at the end of the day, what any one person says isn't gospel. You can get a good aggregate view from a thousand people. And if 900 people are saying one thing and a hundred of the other, then you can probably go with the yeah. 900 people. Chances are. But yeah, anyone's opinion is only that. Yeah, it's so, you know, subjective. So there you go. It's totally subjective. 
So it's about finding the kit. That you but we're not saying that everything on the in in the industry is good, are we? We are there's still a lot of <laughs> shit out there. Oh, there's you know we there's need to get really through. frightening stuff. You look at it on the internet. I mean, you can go to Asia, can't you? And just get a wig made right now and put Wang Lords across the front of it. I'd really like to have a full Alibaba setup and see how I get on. I bet it works. I bet you still get up and I ride bet it. I'd be able to ride it, but I'd like I would like to. It would be really curious. Well, do you know it? that's um, so that's something I think we should do for like one of the video things that we do with Tonic Mag because that's one of the things I was thinking of doing like someone goes and buys some really let's do oh, it wanking. let's do a sample yes, set like oh, yeah. a sample set of Alibaba gear and then do some really do rubbish second hand gear and then the other person gets some really nice top of the range gear and see who has the most fun and who there we go there's start. a project to be made out of that isn't there, there? Is a I have watched a road bike video like that where, where a guy re a guy reviews in America a hundred dollar bike, a thousand yeah. dollar bike, and a ten thousand dollar bike, and that's really quite interesting when you look at the differences. Because in performance, the thing especially. is, the problem is now coming back to fav uh, Freddie's favorite band. I bet you your Alibaba setup would be more expensive than your Gong setup. Probably, maybe. Why are then? Why this is an interesting one uh, that we can finish on. Why are there so many new brands and? pop-up random brands why is so many people getting into wings now there's there's some shops that, that or there's some schools that you look on their instagrams and you think i've never heard of this brand why in god's name are you trying to bring them into the country why you know why why i think it's i think shite? it's easier to design like when you could presumably you're comparing it to kite surfing and i think it's a lot easier to design a kite that will be almost unusable than it is to design a wing that's unusable. Okay. I think a wing, I genuinely think if you were to take a semicircle leading edge, attach a strut to it and connect some it canopy, I could probably get it going. But still, why, why do brands want to get involved? Because they're chasing... it's growing. It's going to be they're massive. They're chasing money, aren't they? And probably the biggest thing, right, in kiting, there was the danger factor. A load of people got dragged into buildings and, you know, sadly, you know, quite a lot of people have died kite surfing. So as a company, why would you want to risk being sued by a widow, um, you know, for equipment that you've made where you've hurt someone? And if you go back to the windsurfing days, everybody was making windsurfers once they got around the patent. You know, the patent that came out kind of stifled it into the Hoyle Schweitzer design setup that was around at the time. But once they got past the patent, you know, you had boards being made by just about everyone and loads of people getting on it because there was loads of money to be made. And I think with winging, it's not there yet, but everyone can see this potential for the sport where it is going to be absolutely huge, you know, from accessibility, from a danger perspective, from, you know, young people to old people, it's got a massive appeal. And although it's difficult to learn initially, you know, it is an amazing feeling once you're up and flying above the water. So I guess these brands are probably going, you know what, if we can chip in here we could do really well and i think the slow uptake from a lot of the the big kite brands i mean core have only just released their wing foiling gear right wing foiling has been around for four or five years core have just come out with it Core's one of the biggest kite brands out there you'd think they'd have jumped all over that right at the beginning so that probably sends a signal out to you know joe blogs in china that he can get his mate at the factory to knock out something stick a logo on it call it super rad and try and sell some and there's people i guess the covid effect you know there's not been any equipment because it's all been sold out and loads of people are buying it so people are like oh yeah i'm gonna do it but i'm pretty sure in about three or four years there'll be a lot less brands 
it will filter out. Same with chitin. You know, chitin's shrunk. Yeah, it's just quite interesting. Wang, wang lords will be coming in yeah. strong. We should, get, we'll we should be, get a printed yeah. wang lords IK surf Kite, wing, uh, wing made everything. up. Let's do That'd that. The, I would. Let's do the Alibaba. Surely, challenge. just we got the graphics ready. Surely, to go. just get some car spray paint and just get it, just write it across your wing, <laughs> <laughs> in keeping with the uh, with the sort of level of um, professionalism of the brand. Wang Lord. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa! That might be your magazine room, but not not this this professional podcast. Don't outfit. forget, there's post production to be done. Oh, I'm, I'm going to start, start editing all sorts of swear words and. Bad mouthing into your <laughs> I'm talking about the Waglords brand, not the generic foiling pod. I mean, obviously, the generic oh, okay, foiling pod right. is a, a cut above everything else that's out there. But yeah, from what I saw of Rich Borton's finger painting on the Waglords T-shirt, that was brilliant. <laughs> but I do want one. It's a great day. So yeah, there's that's going to be everywhere. Give it, give it a couple of months. That that's going to be on everyone's ship. Oh, Christmas is coming up. Christmas is coming up. Coming up. What can you? People sell? are going to want People them. Going to want Christmas gifts. Get some mugs made. Get Wanglord's merch. Wanglord's mugs. Oh, that's a good idea. That's a good idea. (laughs) Then when you're videoing your podcast. But the problem is, right? I was, I was actually, I was actually thinking about this the other day. The whole, the Wanglord's T-shirt is definitely going to happen. But in in researching that, a friend of ours had put us on to this this company where they just do branded merchandise. You know, you can stick any old logo on it and you can have anything you want, whether it be a tote bag or a mug. But I feel like that falls, it sort of falls in line with my dislike for the social media thing in the same way. Like, I do feel like if we're going to have some sort of merchandise, it's got to be a bit different. But I feel like everything has been done nowadays. Like, do you know what I mean? To just make another mug, it's just another another, another thing, a bit like, yeah, just another thing for the sake of selling it to somebody so what can we make that's that's a shout out for the listeners what ideas yeah what would, what would people want to spend their hard-earned cash on that was a little maybe they do just want a mug who knows i'd buy a wang lord's t-shirt who wouldn't <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh, exactly, exactly. <laughs> you really? wait we'll be we'll be ripping off your face plant colors because your color combo is very strong for that logo. oh it would work wouldn't it you'll have I the... think you've got to be yellow and well, that, I like that yellow that Rich used in Ireland. That was pretty good, that. Just yellow finger painting. Job done. Just really, yeah. really low ball. What you need is a black and white photo of someone having, like, the worst wipeout on a wing. Like, just, you know, with, with 10 GoPros attached to them and, you know, all the geeky stuff. Like, the geekiest wang lord you can find crashing in black and white with yellow logo across the top. Oh. That's money right there. <laughs> right, we need to wind this down because I can't be asked editing. All no, this. I think this it's is... going to have to be a two. It's going to be a two party. So that's a favourite, Freddie. We've got two episodes out of this. That's it. You used to do that, didn't you? Part one and part yeah. two for the long Join ones. in. Yeah. Oh yeah. So they plug that then. So we, um, we we both said that your podcast, which is called Intriguing Beings, Intriguing Beings. We both loved that. Over that here. was that was a big inspiration. We big, really, really liked it. Yeah, so if anyone hasn't, hasn't listened to them, they're a little bit old now because Rue got lazy and couldn't be well, asked. COVID hit. Uh, but, yeah. but there are some very nice 
<laughs> you said you only just got COVID in Ireland. <laughs> well, that's true. But what have you been doing the rest of the time? Do you know time? what? I did, because we, when we chatted about podcasting in Ireland, and then after listening to yours um, on the way back from Ireland extensively, I did actually listen back to a few episodes and I, of my podcast, which I've never done before, because you, you guys probably do this. You, oh, you, you put them out, and then just... Yeah, but it's been like three, four years for some of them. And I was like, do you know what? I'll just, I'll just sit and listen to that. And it, I did feel a bit, you know bit kind of yeah a bit sad but it was interesting so there's definitely some good content to listen back to um so if anyone hasn't hasn't listened yeah where, if you haven't they... that's well yeah, everything where... everything to be fair everything that rue puts out is is very much worth put, giving your attention to oh, you kiss yeah. it. <laughs> where can you find in uh, the the podcast room where can you still listen uh, to everywhere it? so spotify apple Podcasts, all of that stuff Sick. if you just put a search in for intriguing beings podcast it'll come up so yeah. yeah, put a search in for yeah. that. You'll find. I it. liked I liked Dom's. Dom's yeah, were my Dom Moore's were really yeah, good. That was really good. good. There was one with um, Bill Ty, who's the venture capitalist kiteboarder. That was bloody interesting. That was one oh, of the yeah. ones I listened back to. He's like super super billionaire bloke. Um, he's yeah, really interesting life. So yeah, there's there's good content. But you know, this podcast well worth a listen as well. <laughs> yeah well, and then uh, your other ventures include right? uh, I got, pl- I've, I've already plugged them all up nice so we've got IK Surf Mag um, which is kite surfing uh, Tonic Mag which is foils sup wing and surfing and then there's IMB Magazine Face if you're into mountain biking and there's face plant sunglasses as well check them out um, which are sustainable sunglasses made from five recycled plastic bottles with biodegradable and replaceable lenses that have a lifetime guarantee. <laughs> and He's one of the better, before. one of the better Instagram feeds as yeah, well. Yeah, I've been a bit, I've sure. been a bit slack on that, so I'm, I'm starting to ramp it up. I actually put about 180 odd pictures in a folder today, so you should see a little bit more from Faceplant going out. But yeah, that's um, another little exciting project. I often chuckle about how busy I am and Mary will say this is like yeah I've got way too much on my plate which is why we started to do a load of video content for the magazines that makes me even more busy (laughs) (laughs) why you started to do Uh, even more yeah Yeah, the video content's good I'm looking forward to more of that I think that's going to catch on yeah well hopefully we'll do Uh, an episode with that um, do an episode testing some gear with you and Alibaba set up versus everything else make it happen bang brilliant very good right thank you Rue I'm going to hit the stop button I'm going to hit the stop button cheers chaps